Hey, y'all. Before we officially begin the podcast, I wanted to send a shout out to Trisha. Trisha, you will forever be our very first Patreon patron. Thank you so much for your support of the podcast and for helping us keep up our love of all things Project Runway as a patron. Um, to all of you lovely listeners out there, if you would like to become a Patreon supporter of our podcast, you can head to patreon.com forward slash the workroom podcast. And the link is also in the show notes. Thanks, Trisha. All right, now let's get to it. We are like proud parents. Hello, all you lovely, amazing, fantastic, and incredible listeners. We're so glad to be with you here in the workroom, a labor of love dedicated to Project Runway. I'm Ernest. That's the one thing I didn't work. Oh, wait. The laughter you hear are two extra people that you all are very familiar with. So sorry. Okay. (laughs) Say hello. What were you just saying about the normal things? I'm Nayland. (laughs) And I'm Patricia. Oh my gosh, yes. So um, so we're all gathered together, the three of us um, together, yet apart, as usual, as you know, in terms of how we do this. And we were talking about the things that are normal and how so many things are not normal right now. Um, because as unusual as it is, there's, there's a lot going on in the world at the moment. Um, a lot going on. So a lot of us are kind of together, but yet apart. Um, This is our promised bonus episode where we turn to you all to ask questions, to send in comments, etc. And I want to thank you so much to those of you who sent us your thoughts and your letters. Also, thank you for your corrections and disagreements throughout the season. It's been really great to get a sense of your personalities, what you're into, what you don't like. And uh, we're excited to get into these questions today. And you guys asked some fun things and also some... (laughs) and like deep philosophical Project Runway related questions as well. So uh, for those of you, if you're new to our podcast, welcome, subscribe. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. And um, leave us an iTunes review. It really helps people find the show. And um, I can say for the three of us and for a lot of you loyal listeners at Project Runway, is um, just so, an amazing, wonderful show. And for a lot of people, it's I've been hearing that it's been a great distraction at the moment. So um, I'd love for those who are new or returning to the show as a franchise could find us if they're in for our, you know, super deep hour long dives on this on these episodes. And also um, just to make an announcement, even though Project Runway season 18 is officially in hiatus, our Project Runway parents are officially back on our screens beginning March 27th, which is a Friday. Um, and yes, it's the show that we've been waiting, I think, actual years for. And that's Making the Cut with Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn and a whole new slate of judges, including Naomi Campbell, <laughs> Nicole Ritchie, <laughs> Kareen Reutfield, Joseph Altasara, and a top influencer who I've never heard of is Chiara Faragni. So I, I feel like those are a lot of names that, that some of us have never heard of. But through the show, they're going to make sure that we know who they are. Um, but they're back. And I feel like no matter where they go, Tim and Heidi will always look like Project Runway to me. So um, we'll be talking about that. <laughs> Very excited. <laughs> 
Um, okay. All right. So I think that's that's it. Let's let's get into these listener letters. And um, and the first one is from Jay Bosco from Gmail. And um, Jay starts off saying, I want to tell you how much I enjoy your conversations about Project Runway. I look forward each week to hearing what Ernez, Patricia, and Naylan have to say. Whether it's Patricia's thoughtful insights, Naylan's suggestions for different choices the designers could have made, or Ernez's insightful observations. Your conversations provide me viewpoints and ideas to ponder while making me smile. So thank you, Jay, for those wonderful words. Just kind of Thank you. Yeah, it's just amazing. Um, so Jay's um, official question is in regards to episode nine which was Suit Yourself, a.k.a. what we named it, Project Retux. And so that's the one where they had to redo and um, uh, reimagine the tuxedo. So um, here's Jay's question. One would think that a show formerly owned by Harvey Weinstein would be exceedingly cognizant of how models slash staff are treated. How tone deaf is the production team that they weren't immediately aware of the ick factor of this episode? No one should have to put up with unwanted attention with sexual undertones, though I think several comments were overtly sexual. And the general laughter from all on-screen personalities made me want to spit. Has the show ever addressed this? And so to to give a little context to those who maybe didn't watch that, um, that was the episode where Marquise uh, made a a tuxedo for their model who, um, just to kind of like, aesthetically describe them like he's like has a barrel chest and obviously like you know a lot of models have these um well for male <laughs> models i would say in particular had like an you know an eight pack just, just a bunch of muscles everywhere to me he looked like more of a martial artist <laughs> rather than a model mm-hmm. um and so there are a lot of comments about his body you know being handsome ankle cleavage and things like that but um did either one of you want to take well, on jay's question first oh Nalen, go, yeah, go ahead uh, i mean specifically there were uh, there, there were a lot of cuts and um and sort of cuts to comments by christian that were and then ultimately uh, when he when the model was on the runway um comments from the judges that were all about um that, that were really ogling yeah um, and and uh, I, I just sort of remember noting at the time that if this had been um, a female identified model, like none of this would have flied, would, would have flown. Mm-hmm. Like like you could not have a uh, Christian would never have said it. Um, the the things that he said and the and the judges. You know, if the judges had said stuff like that, it would have been edited out because it's because it's glaring um, in, in, you know, in uh, it's glaringly wrong. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Patricia. I mean, I don't think the show has never really addressed it. And there's a there has been like a weird, I think, um, relationship to the way that they talk about models mm-hmm. bodies throughout um but um but this uh you know in in sort of opening the door to more um gender diversity uh in terms of the models this this um this season 
um, that that sort of immediately leapt out at me as to where like when they felt permission to do that. Yeah, I mean, because because I, I and we did we did talk about this um, on the podcast, but I, I I appreciate Jay bringing it up in the context of that. Yeah, this kind of cloud that the show's been under especially since the Harvey Weinstein trials have been moving through New York and next to LA. So a lot of that news was happening outside. Um, but it, it even showed up in the finale because Jeffrey used the same model to walk one of um, the, the yellow piece that we just love that, the wonderful yellow looking mustard, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know if this was just editing magic, what, whatever they were doing, but there was, there were cuts to Elaine going, okay, just kind of doing that whole kind of, yeah, yeah ogling him as well because they all recognized him. But it, it seemed a little less obvious there and kind of something that seemed more to me like an editing choice. So even more of, <laughs> even more unaware or even less concerned with how that could come, at, you know, looking just, I don't know, just, just very much being... You know, objectifying and, and sexualizing this particular model because it's almost like he was a returning character, like a guest star or something. Mm. Um, Patricia, do you have any thoughts on that? Or oh, so many. Um, I do. I also want to say that um, I, to my knowledge, the show has not addressed this. I mean, there's so much they don't address. Why? Why yeah. would they address um, <laughs> that? I also think. Um, to me, it was really obvious, and I remember. I think all of us were uncomfortable. I don't. I can't. Yeah, mm-hmm. all of us were uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay Basco, thank you not just for writing in, but for really summing up what was wrong in, with such clarity. Because I think the reason why we don't see a lot of um, more overt kind of harassment, or, or maybe even covert harassment of female models is because most of the contestants on this show most of them have been queer right mm. or at least the guys the guys have been queer yeah maybe not you not so you don't really get kind of i don't know so i think for once all of a sudden there was this you know male models have been so few on this show and then it's fashioned television so with a lot of gay men around it so all of a sudden there's like this new shiny shiny you know beautiful person for them to ogle at so i think that made it more obvious i'm not saying it's okay i thought it was a abhor- horrible but i think this um inability to see that in at play was is really scary to me because like really you don't know what you are doing um but it also kind of highlights expectations of who, um, of like sexualization and, and who gets it, right? Mm. So, for example, mm. if, if Christian um, makes these comments and kind of, you know, moves over, you know, in, in, in Christian's like uh, way, playful way, um, and, you know, put a hand on the chin and go, ooh, hi, you know, it's, like Naylan said, this would never happen to a female model because it's clearly overtly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, when it's part of your own kind of matrix of attraction um, in gay culture, 
then it's supposed to be okay because it's supposed to be validating. I, I don't know. So mm-hmm. this kind of um, is a very dangerous blind blind spot for the show. But I have to say, I'm a big fan of Leslie Jones. I think she's amazing. I actually didn't even know that she was back on Twitter until maybe a, maybe Ernesto mm. told me like a few months ago because oh, that's right she uh, did leave Twitter for a while. I know, I know, yeah. because people made very racist comments right, about right. Leslie Jones because of some movie that she was on um, that I didn't see. Um, but I'm, I'm a big fan of her. I think she's hilarious. I think she's really, really um, more disciplined than I think people give her, give her credit for. Mm-hmm. But I was also uncomfortable with the way she was reacting to Dee Dee. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, Leslie, no. But I mean, I, I think even for Leslie... In the role of like the Joker, in the role mm-hmm. of the comedian, um, in kind of in, in a way that it was set up, mm-hmm. it was slightly more forgivable. But even still, I was like, "Oh, Leslie, you didn't have to say that." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, like that—that's that's clearly ogling someone. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and um, by the way, I, I I have to say that Leslie Jones is equally amazing. In season four of season twelve of RuPaul's Drag Race, which is going on right now, Leslie was a judge. Mm. Uh, See, this is um, that that I, I'm I'm glad you said that, Patricia, because it it also uh, this question made me think about something else, which is that I think that the the producers on uh, on this you know on this current. Um, edition of Project Runway have their eyes really firmly fixed on, uh, you know, all of the Emmys um, that mm. uh, Drag Race has won. And that oh, there's... I, I, I really believe that some of the casting this oh. season was people who were cast um, because they were RuPaul's Drag Race-ish contestants interesting um and uh, and i think that the way that um the kind of um leering that goes on in rupaul's drag race Hmm. and the sort of double entendres and puns and the the way that gay sexuality is represented on that show um says something about the way that it's also um, represented, it, you know, it, in mainstream media at this point, it's like it it is, it it has become the place that is safe to, uh, where it is safe to leer, supposedly because yeah. I, I'm in RuPaul's Drag Race. It makes sense because it's like, okay, well, these are all like queer men who are, you know, who are. Um, uh, you know, in in the middle of this all together, so they're all just acting up and being, fa- you know, quote unquote fabulous. Um, and but there's a way in which um, that impulse, which no longer is um, possible in a in a straight context, um, gets mapped onto gay sexuality. Mm-hmm. In in mainstream media, yeah, uh, as, as still like a way to freakify it, you know, to sort of not accept it. 
in my view. Well, no, I think as a kind of escape valve to be able to indulge in it. And and it's not like any of the people um, like to... Um, it's not like the types of bodies that are celebrated in that sexuality are ever um, unusual or out of the ordinary, hmm. right? Yeah. So it's not like it's not like Christian is like super excited when a fat male model, which is, we've never it, had. And I mean, right. that's a, that's another yeah. thing that when we have these male or you know where you're making menswear, we don't really get that much of a variety of different types of bodies either so. well we did have it we did have it once <laughs> oh was that <laughs> Which like a... to one of my like favorite um my favorite moments on the show with uh when they when the designers had to design for a rock band oh. i can't remember what they were called do you remember it was like these this like the something dogs or something the shaggy dogs it, uh, and, con and contestant the... oliver was like um, was was this guy who was like, they're oh, they're so fat. I can't. They're they're really fat. I can't really. I have a really hard time designing for someone who's fat. Oh God. Um. Anyway, it, that. I'm, but, I'm looking it up right now. Thing, right, is that it? It's that the um the sort of acceptable male body for people to go nuts over mm -hmm. yeah. is um, as as unattainable um, for most people as, you know, the 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 highly sexualized female body. Absolutely. So, mm -hmm. you know, I just think it's I, I think it I, I sort of felt bits of that kind of all over this season and um, and you know, I think it's I, I think it's an interesting point for the show because, particularly um, Patricia, since you watch Drag Race, like they're in the middle of having to deal with an enormous um, sexual harassment um, scandal. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, oh yeah, you didn't know this. No, I did not know this. Huh. Um, Sherry Pie, a contestant, there, you know that there's a disclaimer on the front of every episode of the show, right? I read that, and I was kind of waiting, I've been watching every episode, like, looking for that. No, 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 um, it's something, it's something that happened outside of the show. Sherry Pie was a, a New York drag queen who evidently for years, um, was, and, um, entrapping um other um a sort of aspiring actors and uh, um to make uh sexualized videos for them on under the pretense of getting them roles oh, no. um, plays yeah. and all of this kind of came out um right before um their season dropped um, but right, right before the beginning of the season, which has left Drag Race in a situation where, um, and and Cherry Pie's like, you know, acknowledged this on Facebook, and it's been like a gigantic scandal. But evidently, they went pretty far in the show, wow. and so they've been trying to edit out. Um, at, they've been you notice how cut down her appearances are in the show. Oh. 
and uh, and the so so that's the thing. It's like there's what? this kind of um, coercive sexuality that has been sort of portrayed as like, oh well, all in fun, yeah. you know. It does. There are as many predators um, in queer situations as there are in um, yeah, as there are in straight situations. Yeah. That, I mean, because what does the disclaimer say, or what does it summarize, and is it something well, that it's like in light of recent events, or, or we have chosen? Oh, Sherry Pie has been disqualified, but we have chosen to. Um, keep the contestant no, or keep the show in order no, no, no. out of respect for the other queens. Uh, but yes, that they're that they're not. Um, yes, that they will continue to air the show hmm. out of respect of the work of the other per- contestants. But that Cherry Pie will not be participating in the finale, okay. which is kind of leading people to think that probably maybe she made it to the they finale. They got to like final four or something like that. You know, yeah. the finale is taped live. And the voting is live. So it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't, I was just thinking in my head about how, you know, because Project Runway is so notorious for not really being able to address a lot of these things and how they've been, in particular with Harvey Weinstein, they've been very silent and mum and understanding how difficult it is to, make any type of mention of it because you know he was the lifetime he was the producer and the owner of the company that essentially owned project runway before they went to bravo and we all know mm-hmm. that before it, it actually went to bravo there the the weinstein company was still suing bravo and it's this whole thing and so in terms of the power structure it's yeah, just thinking of could they have done a disclaimer but also there there could be something that and I don't know, I'm very cautious about suggesting or even thinking high hopes of how they would even tackle abuse or even harassment or anything like that within a challenge. But something like that, that uh, that Drag Race has done because it's because of a contestant and not, for instance, like RuPaul. Right. Um, it's it, there is a little bit more leeway of what th- those in power can do to acknowledge and. Yeah, but it's still, um, you know, it's still ongoing. And this is something that is going to continue to hover over the show, even if yeah. it's not on Lifetime, because, um, you know, that that's just, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the, I, I mean, the last thing I just want to say about this is that it's interesting to contrast the way that the show deals with gay male sexuality and the way it deals with lesbian sexuality. Right. If you if you think about Hester Sunshine, it's Mm -hmm. like Hester's entire brand was that she was Hester Sunshine. And it was all like super chirpy and quirky and not sexualized in any way. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, it was like that was the way that the show was able to kind of deal with it. But um, but that's, you know, again, I think that's something that mirrors the larger culture. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Jay Basco. Thank you, Jay. Amazing. Okay. So, 
Our next question is from Kristen, who loves a podcast via Gmail. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so Kristen's question is, who is the most unlikable Project Runway designer? And also, how do you all know each other? (laughs) So wait, who's the most unlikable ever or just on this season? I would say ever because I'll I'll, ever. Yeah, I'll put in Kristen's vote. So Kristen brought up Vin. If you guys remember Vin from season 10, um, Mm. that is the season uh, where... um, you know, Vin was, I think, slated to be a winner, a very, very strong designer, but they had a quote unquote real women's challenge and he had someone with a plus size body and said very vile things about her, made her cry um, and also was unremorseful for how he treated the woman that he was designing for. Um, mm-hmm. So for Kristen, that is Vin is is the most is in the running um, but Chris also acknowledged that perhaps Sergio is leading, um, is, is like pushing <laughs> up there with, with, with Vin. So Vin and I think, um, Sergio, uh, for Kristen comes in like a close second. I um, think it's easier to answer the, how do we all know each other question first. Okay. Okay. Yeah, let's do, let's <laughs> Cause, do that. Cause this could go deep. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea because I have a lot of notes for that question. Okay, so let's <laughs> <laughs> let's go to how do we all know each other? So, um, Nalen, how do we all know each other? <laughs> yeah, Nalen, you answer this one. <laughs> it's well, kind of your fault. <laughs> um, I picked both of you in consultation <laughs> with, with my fellow faculty members um, to uh, to come to the ICP Bard MFA program. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a decision that has brought me much joy ever since. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, um, so it's... sweet, Nalen. And I mean, I have to say that, like, I... Um, Right, and then and then Patricia and I, I think we we we, we kind of like met each other through the program, of course. Uh, but I was gone before you started your your um, coursework there. Um, but yeah, no, we're all very yeah. What active what class were you guys? Because oh. it all runs together for me. I'm sorry. No, that's totally fine. Um, I'm not insulted at all that you don't know exactly when I graduate. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact is that we've been friends since then. So I know it's, it's it, been. It's hard to remember. Like that part of it is like kind of the least important part. I know. In it's... Some way. It, yeah, it, it's kind of, no, and of course I'm joking, you know, I've got, I have to bring in some of like, my sarcasm, but, um, so I was class of 11. Okay. And then Patricia, you're class of 13. Yep, that's right. So yeah. I basically began, I continued in your footsteps, literally. Yep. Like, literally, you left my, you know. And I actually always, I was really looking forward to meeting Ernest because all these people who I knew were like, you haven't met Ernest? I was like, no, like, I haven't, no, who's that? (laughs) But, um, like, Liz Sales, who I really like, spoke very highly of you. Liz. Um, And, you know, of course, Kiana Mestridge of the Dodge and Burn blog spoke very highly Mm -hmm. of you. And I think she, Kiana was the most shocked that I didn't know who you were. And. (laughs) <laughs> funny enough <laughs> and um 
couple of other people. Also Nona, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my second Nona posting was like, oh, you got to meet Ernest. And I was like, okay, happy to. <laughs> Where? When? I mean, because I also, I, I would like, I, I mean, I tell everyone, and, and another reason why, I, you know, it's wonderful that we're all friends is because we were, we're all in our very distinct ways, very dedicated to ICP. Um, and so Nalen, still, it, I mean, the chair, founding chair, current chair, and um, Patricia, you are on faculty there. I was on faculty there, but also I, I'm just generally nosy. And I'm, I have to say, like, I loved, I love just coming in and keeping in touch with people and, and being around people who are making, but I just generally, um, I know, I just, I just, ICP Bard was my first choice for, for my grad program. So I'm, I, you Yay. know, I was just so happy to get in. And it was the only reason that I would ever have thought of moving to New York. I was like, ah, <laughs> I only move so- to New York if I get into this program. <laughs> yeah well i also i also did not apply to any other program and i applied thinking of course i'm gonna wipe out you know so i'm just gonna apply again next year you know (laughs) you know (laughs) so yeah i just applied to one because it's very expensive to do these applications Mm -hmm. and i thought i'll just keep working you know i don't lose anything i'm just gonna do my trial run Mm -hmm. and then then i'll do it for real (laughs) yeah yeah this is my, my thinking. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think the tougher question is that I don't remember Ernest when we began like realizing that we were both Project Runway obsessives. Oh my goodness! Because I... I don't think that happened during the program. I think it was after mm-hmm. you had graduated. We were. I I have a strong memory of us like talking at somebody's opening or something and somehow this is what happened i no, i remember this i remember okay i don't exactly remember the the moment or whose opening it was but because there are so many things that happen that you say that you say i'm like oh my gosh nailing watches uh drag race like oh my gosh Nalen said this so this was a moment where you left a, a, an opening early because you were going to your watch party <laughs> and oh and right. I'm a frequent, I, you know, I, I, I call it bothering. I, I love bothering you all the time um, <laughs> <laughs> at these things. And I probably were, was teasing you about like, oh, my gosh, Neil, and you're at an opening and you're still here and I'm late. You're, and you're like, actually, I'm leaving to go watch Project <laughs> Runway because I have a standing date with my friends. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? And then I think I told you about I'm pretty sure this is what happened in my mind um and, and that I told you that I also used to have a watch party with my friends back in Philadelphia and a frequent host was Samelia Kolar who was my original <laughs> co-host for this for this podcast but we would have sleepovers with a bunch of friends of ours we would save up and then we would binge it together we'd cook and it was like this big thing and so when you said that I'm like oh no we're going to have to talk about this. This is amazing. I love it. I love it. Nathan watches Project Runway. And so then that's when, whenever we go. Yeah. I, well, it took, I think, about a, some time. But we, we, we also do this thing where we kind of talk normal if people are around. And then we make an announcement. Like, now we're going to have to go into Project Runway. Sorry. if To the people around us who don't watch the show. It's just that, you know, it's, it's airing currently. Let's, let's just talk about it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, that's that's what happened. You announced that you were leaving to watch Project Runway, and I just, I just like lost <laughs> it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I remember Nayland during kind of um, class and critiques using Project Runway as an example of things. <laughs> what? Um, or sort of. I, I, I loosened I, up over time. <laughs> So I, I, I'm not surprised that it would be obvious to anyone that Nayland watches the show. I did not know how much Nayland watches the show. <laughs> I, I knew that Nayland watched the show. Yeah. Um, and I, I, at the time, um, I, mean, I, I have watched the show inconsistently. Uh, I mean, meaning there are several seasons that I have not seen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's four, three seasons that because I was just working a lot, didn't see it. Mm-hmm. Um and I do want to actually go back and see them. I really do. Um, so I always felt like I'm, another thing I'm unqualified to talk to, to Nayland about. <laughs> like, like modernism. Or like when David Deacher in class says three words like blue, collage, something. And Nayland goes, Ashley Bakerton. I'm like, how did that, how, how that happen? What is going on? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, these are like I have very intimidating knowledge gaps. I'm just going to stay quiet over here. <laughs> Let me just say it's a deep trench, but it's narrow. So, so no. <laughs> there. If I still if no I, idea. If I, if I stray too far from the from the path, I'm utterly lost. But the stuff that I'm there for, I'm deep in on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So that's that's how we know each other, and I guess and 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 underlying it is um i i the reason why i keep coming back to the show is that it is the best representation of art school on tv yeah which i've I've said before but it but really in terms of like people getting an assignment and then um and then uh, engaging with their creativity to execute the assignment. It's like, this is the format that really kind of represents that. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. So many things. So, no, it's a great, right. it's the greatest show ever. Lit. Most unlikable. Okay. Um, Let's... Who, who wants to take a stab at this one? And we can all kind of like chime in if, if you agree or disagree. So who wants to start? <laughs> I heard a lot of notes from you. Oh, okay. From- I- you said you had a lot of notes. All right. So I was- okay, so I'll go. Um, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> so, before I start. So, okay. The, the, so I, I agree with Kristen that Vin is up there. Um, of course, Sergio, I think, is... I've, I've gone on and on about Sergio, so I'm not going to choose Sergio. But the first people and I'd say people who came to my mind were the twins they're known as the twins from season I believe 15 and their names are Sean and Claire Sean Boyton season 16 oh season 16 sorry that was um oh shoot yeah season 16 so Sean and Claire um and they've been brought up a couple times over the season when I've gone through Twitter where people are are just 
comparing them to Sergio because I think Sergio for a lot of people is becoming the worst. And then someone would go like, but what about the twins? And then I'd get a shiver up my spine. I'm like, oh, the the twins. Um, But if you guys remember, so both of them kind of left in some era of disgrace. So one of them, I don't remember which one was disqualified for cheating and another one withdrew um, herself because she, you know, I, I think it was a whole thing about not wanting to be eliminated and, and embarrassed on television because they both have issues. But those two are, are my number one, vo- uh, number one choice. Um, I don't know. Do, do I, should I go to my list? I have quite a few. I'm sorry. Well, so, well yeah, probably get into <laughs> it, but I, but I'm curious about Patricia. Who do you, who, who's, who's yours? Yes. Oh, you know what? I'm not sure. I now that I thought about the twins, I'm like, oh my god, it's them. You know, um, I forgot all about them. <sighs> I don't know. I found last season. Uh, well, from All Stars, can I mention mm-hmm. an All Stars? Oh contest? yeah, that well, counts. Actually, sure. All Stars would also be a Project Runway contestant. So yes. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Dimoshka, Dimo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I found Dimo highly unlikable and it's sort of like the sort of fake emotion that i find just like mm, but yeah that just is a big kind of um an example of what i'm talking about is near the end when all of a sudden dimoshka said something like oh nina said something like tell us about you what are you thinking about what is this about tell us about you and dimoshka said something like oh it's personal drama of silence. And then I can't say I'm emotional. And I'm just like, Oh my God. Like you, you, th- this is a thing in the show. Like you should have prepared, like there's something to prepare. So to me, it just felt very manipulative. Mm-hmm. And so that is very unlikable to me. Um, then I, I, rem- I, I think I like Tim Gunn more because of something that Tim Gunn said to Ven. Um, which was Ven complaining about a model being like plus size or something. And Mm -hmm. Tim, and you know, I often complain about models, even on this season that they're barely plus size, Mm -hmm. but actually Tim made a comment at that time to Ven saying exactly what I say. Well, I say it because of Tim, but something like, oh, this person is barely plus size. What's the problem? And I remember thinking, oh, Tim, you just became a thousand times cooler because, yes, like, this person Mm -hmm. is barely plus size. Barely. You know, this person's not that big. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So things like that and, you know, comments that Sergio has made and attitudes Mm -hmm. have been very problematic, but um, I don't know. For me, Dumo is also up there. And in the twins. The twins, I forgot about them because they were not around for very long, thank goodness. But, but yeah, very unlikable. Yeah, yeah. And I have to say, I know that this was about one unlikable person. Sorry, I made a whole list. But, um, oh. yeah, but anyway, I'm taking who as being plural, but. I'm, I'm there with you. <laughs> okay, good. Because I was like, I just went too deep on this. Um, but Nalen, what about you? Okay, so I had to chop this up in various ways. Yay! Um, I love so, of So, um, season one, Wendy Pepper oh. was sort of what, like, one of the 
original reality show like like villains right and so it was really hard to figure out I didn't go back and rewatch the season but it's sort of like okay is in it in the way that things have shifted is is Wendy so bad now no um given but you know given how much fun she was to root against Mm -hmm. in that in that first season I don't know I have to really like think about that. Um, uh, I the, I definitely had the twins in there, mm-hmm. but um, but I think they get beaten out by like for most unlikable overall. I think they get beaten out by Sandro Massimandi. Mas, what is it? Mas Massimani Yeah, um, from season twelve. Who is the designer who um, threw a giant fit, um, stormed off the set, hit you know hit a camera on oh on their way down 40th Street, like like basically had this whole like violent outburst after mm-hmm. after yelling at another contestant and being you know like there was just a giant fight and it was. It was like the most, um, uh, you know, uh, what's that? I can't remember what the show is, but it, but it was like the most, um, violent. yeah, violent episode. And and his the sort of scariness of his violence was like, yeah, really, really beyond um, anything else. And you know, the twins. I feel like the the twins, in a large part, were a casting decision, hmm. and and that like yes, they were a mess, but it seemed so clear from the get go that they were stunt casting, hmm. that um, that you know, the only reason why both of them were on there is that a producer was like, oh yeah, right. They're like, oh my gosh, these twins who are vaguely associated with Katy Perry, who was hot, really hot at the time. Right. And who also had no design skill. Right. I mean, who basically yeah. made a bunch of branded t-shirts. Right. So it, it's hard for me. It, like, like Sandro is like, a, um, much, um, creepier to me. Now, yeah. I think Sandro, didn't he have a little blow up with Zach Posen? Or maybe Zach was not on. For some reason, I remember like him and Zach having a little like tiffy on on screen. But he kind of had a tiff with everybody. Like, yeah, with, there was there was on, it was escalating. Like yeah. anytime people like called him on anything, he would erupt. And it was like the and it, and finally it was like the 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 like storming off set and 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 knocking a camera down was mm-hmm. the thing that. Got him bounced from the from the show. Yeah, there. I think that was probably one of the most uh, during that season. The most we saw of producers and 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 um, production people because he. I remember a scene where he grabbed one of them by their wrist to help him figure out how to use a steamer. Um, and it was and it looked it was clear that they had been having issues with him because I think that. Who, whoever that poor production assistant was probably quit that day because he was like, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. He was a tyrant on this, on, on set. It, yeah. looked, it looked like. 
Um, but he had a little had a friend that used to defend him all the time. I forget who, oh but gosh. somebody with um had like a little a little tattoo, uh, like a bow tie tattoo. I forget that person's name. I just remember. Oh no, you're thinking no 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 no. His big his big blow up his big screaming argument was with um. Uh, what's his name? Who came back on All Stars? Um, who oh, also gosh. had anger issues with Ken? That yeah. was that was Ken one point oh. Um, yeah, and when Ken came back for All Stars, he had because he also yeah. had some anger management issues. But it's like that the two of them together, it just really yeah, it, that's it explosive. The two of them having the fight is the thing that sends that sent Sandro out the out the door. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I have a kind of amended version of this question, though. Okay. Which is, who is your most unlikable winner? <gasps> and and I have one to like immediately. Oh. Who is it? Um, mm-hmm. for me, it's Gretchen from season eight oh my who gosh. beat out. Mon- yes. <laughs> can Can you remind us who Gretchen is? <laughs> um. Gretchen was a designer, I think, from the Northwest. I think maybe from sort of the Seattle I think, area. I and think more just, Southwest, it, sound, it sounds like. It, depending on her, I, I mean, from going from her designs, I think she was from the Southwest. Uh, let me see here. I, I'm, I happen to have the Wikipedia. Uh, nope, she's from Portland. <laughs> what? Gretchen Jones. Um... Uh, and, um, she, uh, she was singularly humorless throughout <laughs> and designed in the mode, like it, like everything was, uh, designed in earth tones as if like, you know, Dr. Zayas from Planet of the Apes had to attend like a conference. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was all like it. It was all like sort of drab, caftany things. Yeah, maybe that's why I thought it was Southwest because like it was always desert colors. <laughs> <laughs> and um and and uh yeah, that was that was the season where it was just like how, I mean, and 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 in some ways, like Project Runway created all stars. To make it up to to Mondo, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I think I was so outraged at that decision. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like you and Tim Gunn would definitely count Gretchen as the least likable. Um, yeah, because there were that, that was such a controversial season, and I think Tim started going out. This is when he started speaking out, going like Mondo should have won. Mondo yes. should have won because I think okay, everyone yeah. was like, oh, it's it's staged and, um, you know, you guys pick who the winners are before it even starts. And Tim was like, I'm sorry, if I had to choose, I would have chosen Mondo. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> yeah, I think Gretchen for me was um, kind of up there for a while, but there are some features about her because she moved to Brooklyn after this win. And I remember reading an article about her and how she was sort of quote unquote recovering after everything because she was so un- unloved and people thought Mondo was robbed uh, which I agree with <laughs> also mm-hmm. um, but so, but I feel like if they were able to bring her back we'd see a Gretchen 2.0 point 
perhaps, but mm. man, yeah. I think pick. you're right about that. Um, yeah, I don't know. For me... So, who else do you have notes on? Oh, yeah. So, the other people I have notes on are um, probably not, like, people who would highly agree with me about this, but do you guys remember Keith Michael from season three who was disqualified for cheating? Oh. Yes. So I so he was like a close second for me because I remember thinking that dude, there's something up. There's something up with that dude. He was such a liar, but also the first time someone was disqualified for cheating. So the twins, one of the twins got canned for cheating, but Keith was the first one. Tim or someone found pattern books under his bed. Um, but before that, mm-hmm. he was just coming off as like this very slick liar, which just kind of screens you know, there's something up, there's something up with this person. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, he, that was someone who I just really, really disliked, but got disqualified pretty early. Um, but also I have to say, uh, Amelia Soso, a <laughs> Sosa, Amelia Sosa from season seven. Um, who, uh, do you guys remember Emilio from, from Harlem? Um, maybe. <laughs> Season seven, seven, and um, because Emilio was one of those people who made it to Fashion Week, but choked. I think Fashion Week was his to win, and he. I I saw that season. I thought that punk rock guy, some punk rock white guy, won. Uh, you're thinking Jeffrey Sabella? Oh, that was season Um, three, or maybe you think Seth Seth Aaron? Yes, Seth Aaron. Yeah, Seth Aaron. That was Seth Aaron's season. Seth Aaron is definitely like the person I would not like to be trapped in a confined space with for any long period of time. No, that dude. Whoa. I just, yeah, there's so many. uh, Yeah. Seth Aaron. Wow. Um, But um, I mean, Emilio too, who was like, Oh no, I have this and was, I think the original brand person. So we have this season of just, uh, Victoria putting brands all over her clothes, but Emilio got mm. praised also for putting brands all over his clothes. Oh, that's right. Yes. And then yes, basically yes. made this very Macy's-esque collection for Fashion Week and was surprised that he lost. I'm like, what? Yeah, anyway. So that's that's the one who I thought of as well. So Yeah. Currently very successful um, designer for uh costume maker for um uh broadway yeah yeah um yeah any any other ones because because did you have any other categories Neeland? um no i mean I, for me the most unlikable winner i i i just wanted to take a second and um reiterate like my i think my love for my my favorite contestant overall i mean there are people that i that i was crushed out on or whatever but i always have a warm spot in my heart for laura bennett from season three. Oh my gosh yes <laughs> laura who is uh you know um super duper pregnant during yes. her fashion week um thing and, and still when they got six months and a bunch of money to do this and um just sort of like the queen of the like a quintessential Upper East Sider also. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. Architect a bit older than everybody else in the cast. 
um it yeah i i just i i always really kind of just appreciated her presence she was very sort of um snarky in a in a in a way that i in a way that i kind of liked yeah and i love how she went up against jeffrey sibelia also yeah i just i love their back and forth yeah no i love her i would say my my i mean of course everyone knows that dom strader is my favorite winner I shouldn't say yeah. of course, but I say that yeah, yeah. I say it a lot. She's my favorite, um, and mm. the least likable is um, I. It, I mean, it has to be um, Irina Shabayeva, who was on that uh, in between season, season six, when they were in right. LA, and only because like there was this whole controversy about her T-shirts, and she's mean, you know, and she's unapologetically mean, which is fine. I don't really, I don't really care about that, but. Um, but it's like that whole season was a, a little strange because of the crossover between Bravo and Lifetime. But she just was, um, yeah, I don't know. She she was just not my, I would say that's the least excited I've been about a Project Runway winner mm-hmm. besides Gretchen. Like Gretchen was, I mean, Mondo was robbed. And then I feel like yeah. Irina, what? <laughs> but But the other three... The other two were also not that great. Sorry. Because <laughs> it was like, mm-hmm. that was Althea Harper um, uh, and then Carol Whitfield, who um, was like a, she's a, a bridal designer who makes amazing bridal gowns also. But that was the one I was like, okay, least likable, mm. Irina. Okay. Yeah. All right. So ready for the next question? Mm-hmm. And that is from Andrea. Andrea from Facebook. Um, hopefully it's one of those pronunciations. Mm-hmm. And um, Andrea's question is, if Victoria from Moldova and Dima from Belarus were in an <laughs> Eastern European broodoff, who would win? And can we also add in Elena from Ukraine in there? <laughs> from Dima's season. Yes. So yeah, who, who, would, who would win in a broodoff? Oh, um, I, 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 I cannot tell the only, the only thing that I could, um, go to in terms of trying to, um, work out this issue. Like I do not know the national, um, fortitude of, of either (laughs) Belarus or, or Moldova. So um, I, I I was able to find this um, this thing that I'm dropping in the chat right now, um, which is a link to um, the national uh, football <laughs> standings. I love, it. I love <laughs> and, it. And they show in all of the times that uh, that the Moldovan national team, national football team. <laughs> has played Belarus. Um, they've won three games. They've had four games that were a draw and three games that were lost. So so I can only I can only think that that uh, the brood off would just end in like um, uh, just both of them collapsing into equal sized piles of despair. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Um, um, 
and and uh, let me say that there are <laughs> are many many wonderful people from <laughs> Eastern Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I th- I thought this was such an interesting uh, question because of especially with Patricio, I th- I feel like maybe you first brought up this Eastern European type deal, especially with the the very um, you know the, like everything had such staunch consequences for Victoria in particular because of how she would really break down and berate herself if she made one mistake or if she finished at the bottom three and still would move forward or whatever. Like she could only focus on those negative comments and blah, blah. But um, so, so yeah. So I, I feel like you first brought that up as a comparison because we also have Dima here and then thinking of, well, you know, like I don't really know. I think Elena is, if you all remember her, Elena, who also kind of stormed off of the set once, never didn't quit, but was mm-hmm. kind of just volatile. I'll just say that she was up and way down, way up and just kind of wreaked havoc on everything. But um, Patricia. Yes. What are, your, what are your thoughts on on this comparison? On the, on the off, I also think it would be a tie just because I think whoever would be judging that would probably be really surprised by the tenacity of somebody with really big hair to sustain the brood. <laughs> but also with um, with Dima, with Dimashka, I think that I think that relentlessness there would would be quite a factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I yeah. would be a, uh, I guess um, a tie. Yeah, Dima does not lose. No, exactly. doesn't, doesn't lose. And neither does Victoria, even though, you know, she did lose. But um, Dima ne- actually never loses. <laughs> Every time he's been on Project <laughs> Runway, Dima has won. And it's like, you know, maybe for this, like, Victoria was like, well, this is the one thing that I'm not going to lose in, in, the, in the Project Runway universe. But I can imagine Elena um, just kind of pushing everyone down. Like she would, she, I think if she, she wouldn't take a tie. I think she would just shove someone and be like, no, now I win. I'm the only one standing. Or like, those weren't the rules. She goes, now they are. I win. And it's like, okay. All right. <laughs> Elena just made up her own game. Um, yeah. Thanks, Andrea. Or Andrea. Whoops. And also mm-hmm. Kristen. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So, Next, we have um, a listener letter from Raven via Gmail. And Raven wrote this letter in response to episode six, which is the Heritage Challenge a while ago. Um, And so Raven goes, hey, guys, I'm a longtime fan of both the podcast and Project Runway. I'm not usually one to write into shows, but after the last episode, I made a point to sneak a minute away from work to write an email. This week's Thanks, Raven. I know. Thank you so much. Thank you for saying that, Nail. I was like, oh, I want to say thank you now. But anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Great use of work time. Well done. Thank you. (laughs) So Raven goes, this week's Heritage Challenge and the way Delvin struggled with it really brought back some old thoughts and emotions I remember growing up. As a third-generation Midwestern Negro, quote-unquote, and in parentheses, that's a family joke for Raven, um, like Delvin, I used to struggle with exactly what my heritage was. 
For as far as I knew, my family was from a dying town in Ohio. We didn't have any ties to anything different. From what I know, most of my ancestors and addiction issues and generally, um, from, oh, sorry, from what, from what I know, most of my ancestors had addiction issues and generally scraped by. For the most part, we are hardworking people that graduated high school and went to work in factories. And based off the stories of Delvin's overall attitude and about where he's from, he might not have had much passed down to him personally, um, in parentheses, namely that line about how his inspiration is basically the opposite of where he's from. So um, to come out of um, Raven's letter, uh, Delvin referring to a lot of his inspirations coming from the ateliers in France and European influences rather than from where he was from in Chicago. Um, Raven continues, that added in with the fact that he doesn't really have a country he could readily draw inspiration from. I think he just got stuck. Being from Chicago, he could have made an outfit that his family would go out stepping to, or a fashionable winter outfit, since people from the Midwest look forward to fall and winter fashion. He could have even tied his final look into black church culture and worked around it. Side note, I really wish Chelsea would have mentioned HBCUs and her inspiration, but such is life. Either way, I look forward to this week's podcast, and hopefully my email wasn't too long. Thank you. No, your email was not too long, Raven. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, really, really great to read. Um, and I so I sorry, I've sent this um, letter to both of you guys before, so you've had some time to um, to read it. But I want to save it for this episode so we could really kind of um, respond to Raven um, with all three of us. So mm-hmm. I mean, I'll say that I thought those were amazing suggestions about where Delvin could have gone. And when I was thinking of his um of how he regarded his background i was i also was thinking about where i grew up so i grew up in south southwest los angeles and that part of los angeles was given that name after the riots so i was born in the early 80s and um was in elementary school when the riots broke out and this is the riots in response to rodney king not the 65 riots or 64 riots um or the watts riots i should say (laughs) a lot of riots (laughs) so Mm. so it's like I, I remember um, missing school, like schools were shut down, um, church was shut down because Western Avenue was on fire and the riots started in South Central or what they started calling South Central Los Angeles. So it was like after the riots when people would ask you, and for some reason, when you say you're from Los Angeles, people always ask you, oh, what part? And um, when people would ask me that question, it became a lot more, um, there was a lot more, uh, I would say, stigma on what part of Los Angeles you were from. And to me, it always was coded with this era of racism because the South part of Los Angeles after the riots became like the dangerous part, even though it always was just LA. Um, and so I think, and, and Delvin is from the South side of Chicago and we, we learn a little bit, bit by bit, but I think Raven bringing up how um, he might not have been um, given a lot of information is totally what we kind of observed. Like his mother over the phone during that challenge was giving him new, brand new information. And it was a lot to, I think, absorb for, for Delvin, but also compounded by the fact that you come from this place that, you know, it's, I think it, it, you know, I, I would say for me, my parents did a lot of re-educating. <laughs> like you come home, um, you hear on the news, and you hear from other people what they think about where you live. And yet it's like, it doesn't necessarily line up with 
your experience. Like, well, I have a family who, who loves me and I, I'm able to ride my bike outside, but yet people don't want to come to, you know, where I live because they've heard on the news, all these other things. And then also this other larger conversation about the structure of racism and then the legacy of slavery and how that has um, in, in, a, in um, uh, I would say specifically and very specially with black Americans who um, are descendants of, of, of slaves, that the idea of what your legacy is and, and inheritance, all that stuff is really heavy and um, generally in general culture and mostly in American and white culture has a negative connotation. So, you know, like this idea of like stepping that that's a Chicago thing, but in, it's, it's like a, it's also specifically, it's, it's a wonderful black American. So all these examples that Raven brought up were just really like, Hey, no, like these are, these are things that I'm, I'm thinking that Delvin wasn't re-educated on, on what to be proud of. And, and um, I'm pretty sure there are, a lot of other things going on and I'm, I'm not from South, just the South side of Chicago. I don't know what it's like to grow up there. So I'm not going to pretend to, to be like, you know, Delvin should have. And, and, and yeah, to give him like, I'm giving him the benefit of, of doubts there, but um, it's, it, it is really, really difficult for a lot of black people to think about their heritage without um, in, in a way that is, um, you know, uh, you know, with like devoid of a lot of pain and I would say lack. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Did you, yeah. Did you say, did you say lack, L-A-C-K? Yeah, lack, L-A-C-K. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. So, um, and so, so yeah, so I, I, and, and to mention HBCUs for Chelsea, um, I don't know if, if HBCUs were exactly her inspiration or, or even were particularly in there, but um, I, it's, I, I, I would have liked to have known, I mean, if, if she were affiliating that with an HBCU, that, that would have been great, but I didn't get that um, particular angle necessarily. I just thought, I didn't even think about higher education um, in general. I just thought about education as a, as a profession overall, but yeah, anyway, I've talked enough. What are your mm -hmm. thoughts? <laughs> Anyone? Well, no? um, Patricia, you want to, do you want to go ahead? or? Um, I'm okay. I mean, I, I'd rather you go next. Um, I'm, okay. I'm very satisfied with what Ernest said. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I think you touched on a lot of things very succinctly. Oh, thanks. I, Sometimes I feel yeah. like I just drone on. But, um, yeah, Nalen. Yeah, I mean, I think, it, uh, again, this is one of the reasons why I'm really drawn to the show, because <laughs> it is about, in in certain ways, it's about um, culture and creativity. And, um, and I, I mean, the, like you, Ernest, it's like, um, I, I make work that tries to examine um you know my my blackness um and and uh as well my like biracial you know um family mm -hmm. 
And I think we run up against a thing in in American culture where um, only certain types of uh, only certain types of of histories are actually legible yeah. to mm. other people. Um, and so, f- for black people who don't have a direct um, uh, path to slavery. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, a, a, a sense of delegitimization, mm. right? I think, and maybe that's what, what you're talking about in terms of a lack that that's, that that's like the simple story that people can kind of grasp onto. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's there in my family, but it's, it is, it is also, been like a chafing point for me because there is I'm I I I've lived with the ways that um, my family experience, which was you know um, uh, not one of poverty, but one of you know sort of um, working class entering middle class Mm -hmm. um as as uh, you know um uh it is uh often rendered as kind of invalid as a as um you know as an as an area of of examination yeah um and so trying to figure out like how to actually not only uh, grapple with with what are the legacies that that we are um, the receivers of, but also then thinking about what does it mean to put that into um, a work that you're making or something that something that you're doing um, under the the very loose rubric of heritage, mm. um, which in this show is just kind of like okay, well everybody's got one. Mm-hmm. So, um, so just like tell us what yours is, and uh, and I, you know, it's um, it it's not that simple, and it's an it's an act of narrating yourself that is always going to be flattening, and uh, and distorting. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly something that I that I feel is sort of a constant part of my work where I try to actually render the contradictory um, inherent and you know heritages and and um, and and conflicts that are you know that reside inside my skull as a person who who you know is uh, has has grown up you know being legally designated black by the state of New York um and and yet um perceived as white in most contexts mm-hmm. um and then um you know and and uh uh in in the midst of uh times that are that are not prone to acknowledging complexity so um yeah i think it's a i think it's a deep question yeah. um in a weird way, the show kind of sets it up as being like, um, 
you know, all of the power kind of being in the judges to designate whether or not someone successfully articulated that. And uh, and those are the people who actually know the least. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, this season we actually have Elaine Welteroth, which is actually a nice a nice break from the consistency meaning it's a good consistency to have in the show in a way that the show hasn't had before and i say this just because i'm not saying it's because elaine is a former editor but because that elaine is on top of things (laughs) that are going on Mm. and it's really good to have someone like that i i I, I think so but but i also think that elaine does go into the trap of, like, certain representations are more valid than others. Mm-hmm. Um, even if the, even if it's in an affirmative way, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, I think that it's, um, I, 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 the, I you know, I, I think that there were just points where, um, uh, it's, it is, it's tough for anybody in that position Yes, yes. You know, to really pass judgment in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if... no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. No, I, I mean, I was just saying in terms of something that's recognizable because that's part of the issue, or even, and also thinking about what Raven's suggestions were. Like making an outfit to go out stepping to, and I and I keep going to that example because it's I think it's very regional. It's very um, there people step in different parts of the country, but I feel like that's a very Chicago type deal, and people have different um, and it's it's distinctly um, Black American, and people have different styles of doing that. But even to use something that is so specific and have something that fits into a general way of being where you could you could do that thing and put in complexity and like this is what this person imagine just imagine this person who's from Chicago and going out to do specifically stepping and yet you could take that into different contexts based off of where your perspective is but then it becomes less recognizable as something that's black <laughs> and so un- unless you do something very specific and uh, do that flattening because yeah when you put in from the judges it's like does it look black or you know even thinking about art like does it look black to me and um thinking about visual culture overall that is that is a lot of um that that is a that's a huge challenge uh, even though it's something that is distinct to black culture is having it look like black culture Mm -hmm. what were you gonna say patricia well, I was going to. I'm Nayland. I'm also very satisfied by what you said. I think it's very. I know. I know. I, I, I even feel funny saying that, but I no, think that answer is okay. really good. <laughs> as, as was yours, Ernest. It's very satisfactory, or maybe f- affirming is a better term than satisfactory. It's affirming to hear what you both said. Um, I thought about Del- Delvin's struggle. Um, Ernest already said it. Um, Delvin was learning new things about um, the family as mm-hmm. while moving through this challenge, right? So that phone call home about like, oh, have this wonderful conversation with your family about where you are. For Delvin, that was really difficult. 
I'm, I'm sorry about where you're from. Um, for Delvin, that was really difficult. And I think that, you know, as annoyed as I was, and, and even with somebody formerly on my bracket, Jamal, where everything they're aiming for has to do with, like, royalty and upper-class things, as annoyed as I am by the sort of... A, um, it's like this adopted classism, you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like adopted classism of those ideas. Um, as annoyed as I am by that, I also am inclined in, in Delvin's case to think the way that I saw Delvin is sort of someone thinking like, how do I succeed in this culture? How do I do mm-hmm. what I want to do being who I am? And that's how I saw Delvin. And that's how I saw Delvin's struggle. And for all the reasons that you already mentioned that I have nothing to add to. Um, I think that now the way that Delvin navigated that resulted in, in things that I didn't like seeing. Like I aspire to the, the art couture, the the high, high um, fashion world and all of these things. But what I think that the episode, what happens in the episode Mm-hmm. that I found profoundly disturbing is the element, I'm just going to say it, the element of, like, class maintenance hmm. that, mm-hmm. that makes this question even a, a challenge in the show. And also how, like, people that have their their lives and their legacies and their histories ruptured, some people have a really hard time, like, recreating recreating family values mm. and or, or, or at least values that um, they've been taught that have been passed down to them and I think th- this is a real thing and um, I don't know how to give an example of this um, okay so I'm gonna say an example from my life like I've been fortunate like I, I became an immigrant as a mid-teenager not by choice but whatever it happened I'm glad um, but my family has been able, my family, I'm here with like three other people mm-hmm. um, who are my relatives. I have cousins in Philadelphia that have been there for a lot longer time, but I don't really talk to that part of the family. Um, but we've been able, like the four of us, have been able to recreate like the little values that we think we should have. So for example, an example of this, just to try to keep it short, and like my mom, they, they have um, a little garden right now. And my parents, they, they grow everything they can on that garden. They grow beans, they grow pumpkin, everything they can grow. The neighbors across the street, because my parents both have very noticeable accents, thought my parents were growing drugs, right? Mm-hmm. So my mom comes out of, of her door one day to someone entrenched in her garden and then like runs away really fast. My mom's immediate thought is, oh my God, they're hungry. So my mom starts going over there with like, you know, bags of vegetables thinking these people are too embarrassed to ask for food mm-hmm. but so this is like how you can kind of main you have this is an example of like recreating values mm-hmm. um but the neighbors don't see it that way the neighbors see those like people with accents who grow drugs right another neighbor eventually told my family this that's how we even know but so all of this to say that this to me is a form of privilege. The idea that you, yes, you go somewhere new, but you have the ability to kind of form a little bubble of a family and you can continue to activate like the values that your parents' parents passed on to you, right? And I'm saying this as an example of a, of a privilege. And um, 
not everybody has that. And I think these class maintenance ideas of like, let's talk about heritage because heritage defines who we are. Well, yes, but not equally and not in the same way. And I think um, it's a very, to have continuity or to have this, to be able to um, believe the fallacy of continuity hmm. um, is, is an example of class maintenance that I find really problematic all the time, but especially when it comes to these heritage things, which to me often feel very nationalistic and dangerous. Hmm. I don't yeah. know. I'm very satisfied with that answer, Patricia. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank you. The vegetables are far more satisfying than my answer. I guarantee it. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it brings up a lot. And, you know, it's so great. Project Runway have no idea what they're doing. They're thinking they're just like, oh, <laughs> let's talk. About, isn't this fun, guys? And it's like, mm, let's unpack this. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the fun begins. <laughs> oh, man. Um, thank you for that. Um, so Raven has a follow-up question to this episode and if you guys will remember this is the episode that Chelsea did win um for the the dress or like I would say the very swing varsity jacket that she made with the sleeves and but also I want to put this question in because it's something that we've brought up and some listeners have brought up too in general so Raven asked do you feel like they should have mentioned that this was a flash sale challenge before the designers started designing I feel like Dae Young's look would have won if not for the flash sale challenge since it would be easier to manufacture Chelsea's look. So this is something that they'd been doing. Um, I know it's a weird transition <laughs> from Heritage to talk about this. But um, I, it's, it's also Raven's question. I also want to bring it in because it's something that they start doing um, during the season where it was very clear to the designers when things would be flash sales. And then they started kind of throwing it in at the end. And in the middle of a, of a very heavy challenge, um, they're like, guys, guess what? This is also a flash sale. I'm like, you know, you guys have given the, them such a, such a deep conceptual thing to think about. Um, Delvin is having a moment over there. <laughs> and I think the last thing anyone wants to think about is who's going to buy this? <laughs> you know, it's like right. they're all in their heads. It's all, I think, the most personal challenge that they've had all season. And then Christian yeah. Siriano shows up in the middle of like, guys, guess what? Like rubbing his hands together. Like, oh, it's a flash sale. But in terms of this as uh, a feature, wh what, did, what did you guys think about this being in the middle and also continuing through the rest of the challenge? I mean, the rest of the season as being something that they would throw in in the middle of the challenge without telling the designers. I mean, it wouldn't be Project Runway without, like, an immense confusion between culture and commerce. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The tagline of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the workroom. You know, I mean... The immense it, confusion. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is what capitalism does to heritage, is it seeks to either commodify it or, you know, or um, propagandize it. It's, it's, it, it, because really when you're talking about heritage, it's like, what are the things that make you feel embedded within a community? Right. What are the things that, that make you feel that you are part of a continuum? Mm -hmm. All 
um, who, you know, came before you and will come after you. And, um, and that is a thing that is really difficult to put into words, um, you know, much less to put into garments. Yeah. But it's, but but it's also a thing that is you know, um, uh, you know, often trivialized in the midst of like commerce. Mm-hmm. Because like if I you know and Da Young's outfit, I think she came in second. It wasn't my favorite, but um, I think in terms of what it meant for her it was a really good challenge and having it be this thing that you turn into commercial like you know yeah sell (laughs) sell your representation of who you are like the the basis of your whole entire being let's sell it online it's like of course that's something that we have to think they have to think about as designers and um and and you know maybe it was like a I would have loved for them to introduce it as a hard truth. It's like, yep, these have deep meanings to you, but guess what? It's all about money guys. Um, so it was, it was, I thought it was awkward, but in the same sense, like I definitely think they would have changed their designs. It, it would have been such a trivial thing if they had said this at the beginning. Um, so I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. Patricia, do you have any, um, I I don't know. I think I don't have many. Um, I remember the ju- the judges being really into uh, Chelsea's look and, and saying, "Oh, it's so young. It has appeal to the youth." And I said, I kind of shrugged and said, "Okay, well, I don't like it, but who am I to take anybody's fun away?" You know, <laughs> um, I didn't understand that jacket at all. Like, <laughs> aside from the color palette, I like the color palette, but. I, I just didn't get it. And Day Young's look, I, I was kind of surprised they didn't pick it because I thought that would have more appeal for, like, different types of ages. Hmm. But it, the judges didn't think so. Hmm. Uh, maybe it was too, quote, quote, ethnic. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, I don't think either look was my favorite. I mean, I, I did like Day Young's jacket. But for a flash challenge, I, I really have no idea. Yeah, same. No, I didn't think any either one was particularly well well suited. Well, I, I feel like it kind of really nicely flows into our next question uh, from Mary from Galetta, California. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly because I'm from California, but I've never heard of Galetta. So welcome, Mary. And... Um, Let's see. So, so Mary starts off saying, thanks for your amusing podcast. Watching Project Runway isn't something anyone else in my circle does. So it's nice to have a debrief slash sanity check with you. Um, and here, here's Mary. Get a new question. circle. <laughs> <laughs> Easier said okay, than we're done. Happy to be part of your, we're happy to be part of your online circle, but you need a new circle. <laughs> yeah, find someone. Find them. They're out there, Mary and Galetta. <laughs> Um, okay, so Mary's question, which is why I thought it would be great um, to come after Ravens, is have you noticed the disclaimer posted on the screen at the end of the show? Isn't this an admission of shenanigans? And this is what the disclaimer is. Winning and elimination decisions. 
were made by the judges in consultation with the producers. Some elimination decisions were discussed with Bravo TV. Um, Mary's question came in in particular after an episode where you, Nalen, um, called shenanigans. It was a time when Victoria was on, uh, was almost eliminated, but for like the 15th time was not. But also, um, it kind of, I in thinking of who wins and who doesn't win, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, it becomes obvious and it's also like a long-standing thing in reality, reality TV that it's not a pure merit-based system in terms of who gets eliminated and who goes on, mm-hmm. especially something as subjective as this, but also when you're tying in a lot of storylines as well. But um, because thinking of the Heritage Challenge, I think it's kind of obvious that Chelsea's look was super commercial, also easier to manufacture, and I think had a great story behind it. And so it's like kind of just happened to be that all those three things came together because it is very much a producer slash production slash this new thing that, that Bravo's doing, which is creating these um, for, for to, to purchase. Um, yeah, what, what did you guys think about that? Actually, uh, Nalen. Yeah, I mean, it, it you know ever ever since um, the the advent of on Unreal, um, we we have a pretty good idea of how the sausage is made. Right. Right. Um, you know, this isn't like a this isn't like Olympic gymnastics where you can sort of see whether or not you you have good objective um, uh, data on how a person did or didn't do. So yeah, I mean, I, 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 those disclaimers are there um, because the reality of reality TV is that it is um, scripted. Um, you know, the the pleasure comes from uh, the extent to which um, we feel like the scripting was shaping our emotional response to things that um that you know connect with our taste but mm-hmm. not necessarily it, you know it it's it's i mean people used to have this complaint about pro wrestling which i also love which is that it was all fake it's like well yeah so yeah. is opera that's <laughs> that's, that's the point <laughs> it's a, it's a vehicle for emotion yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's like it's like you don't you don't like yell at Beverly Sills because it's like well people don't just do that on the street like burst out <laughs> like that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay. Um so Mary had another question and it goes, "What is up with the designers finding time to make matching clothes for themselves?" And so in, in their, their question, she's Marquise <laughs> and Brittany. Um, and she goes on, I was most surprised by Brittany's butterflies on her skirt for the Ashley Longshore challenge. That must have taken some time to do. And yet the show is edited to make you think the designers are all rushing around with barely enough time to eat or sleep. Are they allowed to work on personal garments back at the apartment, um, i.e. hand sewing? I don't get it. So... <laughs> So I love this question Excellent because question. you think about Marquise because Marquise is super obvious. Marquise makes a shirt almost like every episode. And I brought it up because I was like, Marquise, no, you're going to get in trouble. Um, 
and he did get in trouble for it. And also, Brittany, I, I, I completely forgot about that um, and wasn't sure what was going on because Brittany is wearing, during the Ashley Longshore judging, which she eventually won, um, she's wearing a circle skirt that's decked out in these 3D butterflies that she made for the actual garment. So I'm like, when did, she, did she do that? Like, did we miss something? Um, but yeah, I, I will say that I did some background on Brittany and it didn't, I didn't, I wasn't looking for this specifically, but Brittany had mentioned that she did a butterfly collection before. And mm. so, and it brings in a, the avant-garde challenge as well. And I think a lot of, lots coming together for, you know, you know, to give us background information about who Brittany is and why she does what she does. But she, she had done those butterflies before for a whole collection. So if she had not, I thought she brought the skirt with her, which was confusing. Cause I'm like, you already had a skirt that looks like that. And that's a possibility. And also she's done this so many other times. So I don't think it would have been that um, she would have spent that much time doing these three butterflies. But then when she brings it back for avant-garde, it's still, it's this, she's only, she's done a lot of butterflies. So, um, yeah, but I, 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 I just am like, I don't think it's great, but I also, uh, this idea of, you know, I think before, um, in vintage project runway, people would bring the clothes that they made with them. They wouldn't make them during the challenges, but for some reason, these, these guys are making whole brand new outfits which I feel like we've never seen before. Yeah. I think the, I the real question is, do they get to keep them? <laughs> <laughs> like, do you, like, does, does everything you sew, including the things that you make for yourself become property of Bravo? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Huh. Patricia, you're saying something? I, I what I don't like about the designers making stuff for themselves is that because in the past Nina Garcia has said, "Oh, I like what you made better." I like. Hmm. I think designers use it as another opportunity to influence hmm. the judges. And hmm. at the end, even Nancy was doing. She was in, like walking around in overalls that matched the, that were in the same fabric of something that Nancy had made before. Um, so I. I I don't actually like that um, because it's just another attempt to influence. And I feel like that's what your garment should do. That's, that's yeah. the, the role or not, not, not the role. That's the point is yeah. your garment should contain what it contains. So oh man, it's kind of like cheating or doing extra credit when you weren't even asked to do extra credits. Like you're, you're like the teacher's pet. That's a teacher's pet move yeah. in a way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's not exactly cheating, mm -hmm. but it seems like, you know, an appeal for extra credit when it was not requested. Man. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Love you, Marquise. Love you, Marquise. <laughs> 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 you know, like, why not? But, and I say this only because of what it had become. I think Marquise was just doing it, you mm -hmm. know, just, oh, I have time, I'll do this. Or... Or I really like to do menswear, so I'm going to do something that I like to feel confident up there. <laughs> yeah. But it kind of it kind of has snowballed into this thing, you know, hmm. a little bit. Interesting. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, so 
Thank you, Mary. Um, also, thank you, Raven. I'm sorry if I keep <laughs> forgetting to thank everybody. I'll thank you all. So next we have um, Jill from Gmail. And her question is, oh, actually, this is not a question. This is a comment that I put in also. So thank you, Jill. So Jill goes, thank you for spending time on the podcast. I usually wait to watch the recorded Project Runway episode until you have the corresponding podcast up. I love listening to your insights and appreciate your artist eyes and point of view. Project Runway mm -hmm. and listening to you is my me time. So glad I get to have these conversations in my life, even without my friends having an interest. Don't stop recording, please. Exclamation point. Thanks so much, Jill. Very sweet. <laughs> Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Jill. <laughs> um, and next we have Charlene. And Charlene has a qu like one question. And also Charlene has written in before. Charlene's hilarious. Um, but um, uh, she goes, what if Christian's glass of water, crust of bread ways, push Da Young to an unhealthy level of perfectionism? And also she puts in, for the record, my mom thinks Siriano is the perfect follow up to Tim. She does not think it was fair to have a team challenge on the first episode. <laughs> so we agree. Um yeah. yeah, what what do you think about that? Also, I love that that phrase, glass of water, crust of bread. <laughs> <laughs> um I mean, we've you've talked about this with Christian's strategy or or uh philosophy of pedagogy, I don't know, just or lack of it. Um and just kind of his personality not really going that well with everybody. So the people it's really worked out for we, you know, we can say Nancy, Jeffrey, even though I feel like it didn't, it isn't great for Jeffrey, but Jeffrey, I think thrives. We've talked about this, like thrives in, you know, a little bit of, of angst. And so, um, but for Dae Young, what do you, what do you guys think? Um, I, you know, I think that, um, I, I, I think that um, Christian is kind of light on empathy. <laughs> <laughs> so diplomatic. So, so his um, so his sort of demands that the designers uh, both amuse him, you know, keep him amused, and also um, and and also uh, uh, you know perform at their utmost. That like any you know any rest was seen as slacking, mm. probably did not help uh, Dayung's Dian own um, internal drives, right? Yeah. Like like Dayung seems like somebody who, um, you know, is already pretty driven on uh, on her own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Patricia. I mean, we don't know if Dayang had. Okay, so the, in the in the heritage phone call in the heritage episode challenge, they all were able to ca call home, and Dayang's you know parent, um, I believe it was the mother, but um, yeah, mom. Um, expressed concerns for Dayang's health right away. Like, remember, you like the mom was primarily concerned for her health for mm -hmm. Dayang's health and said you know winning doesn't matter you know and you know I'm not of Korean descent um I've had a lot of Korean friends over the years I still do so I know that 
I mean, for some of my friends, that's like their dream mom. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> like, you know, like just that laid back mm-hmm. was kind of interesting. See, I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. But, you know, Dayang's mom was really concerned about Dayang's health. So that led mm-hmm. me to think that maybe just Dayang just had health issues to begin with. And the approach of the show and Christian's kind of take fashion seriously, you know, um, attitude didn't help. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I, yeah, there's a lot of unknowns there for me. Hmm. That's a good point. Because I, I, I was thinking about that conversation with her mom also, because we during that conversation, we get a montage of what she did after at a very young age. I'm not really sure. I can't remember how young, but she left. South Korea at a very young age to educate herself all over the world. And it didn't seem as if that was something that her parents encouraged her to do. She's like, I wanted to see things and I wanted to learn different, um, you know, how, what it was like to live in other places. And, and yeah, she just seemed to, to have been driven in particular ways. I was still, you know, I think it's interesting to bring up the underlying health issues and also her own internal drive because um, it, it hasn't been, I don't think I've ever seen someone work that hard, that ill. And then also, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I would say deflect help. Um, it seemed as if when they finally got into her, it, it was almost like someone from high up, like a, like someone was like, you need to go in there and ask her if she's okay or demand that she <laughs> drink some water or something. Um, because it, it, it was almost like her body had to get so... Um, uh, had to deteriorate so much for her to just not feel as if she could get through because she just was hiding from, you know, resting in uh, like away from the cameras and, um, you know, wanting some privacy off camera to just kind of suffer. Um, She looked like she really was suffering. But yeah, I mean, if Christian is yelling at Delvin from day one for taking a short nap when Delvin has nothing else to do and it's totally okay for Delvin to take a nap because he's done, and then, mm. and then, you know, and we've all watched season 17, you know, with, with Delvin, I mean, sorry, with Christian going off on, um, oh, Jamal. what was Jamal. his name? Jamal. And Jamal. then who else? The oh, other, uh, uh, the Syrian designer. Yes. Who was also in my bracket. Yeah. No. I know. I uh, want to say his name starts with an R. So sad that I forget. Who is also working for for Christian Siriana right now? The the Syrian designer oh. who got yelled at for eating, <laughs> for eating, <laughs> is well, on staff with Christian. But you know, it's like we we've all kind of seen that, and I think that's a part of you know Christian going around like I don't eat for weeks before my my runway show. I don't sleep. I don't I don't do anything. Like I don't I don't take a shower. I roll out of bed and I roll to my studio and I just work work work. It's you know I think for for Diane perhaps that's not the best yeah, yeah and an- another thing that is obvious to the show is that we kind of only see them we don't really see them eat anything nourishing like the most nourishing thing we've seen anybody eat on this show was um basically christian sneering high grade sneering at slices of cucumber that victoria offered <laughs> right and i'm sure i'm sure that victoria had to have like probably had to just really put her foot down with somebody in the crew to get a cucumber from the outside world <laughs> as opposed mm-hmm. to some kind of like 
stale muffin from whatever, you but, know. But what about those macarons that, that Alan Tude was eating? <laughs> oh, those were brought in from somewhere. Didn't that was a gift from somebody else, right? Oh, or something. What? Oh man. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. They seem to have they, they seem to have an okay stocked um kitchen back at the back at the uh at the ranch (laughs) yeah we see them eat eggs and frozen pizza i don't know breakfast pizza (laughs) breakfast (laughs) pizza (laughs) and ashley longshore bought them all tacos when when ashley was on the show so maybe ashley was like they're not eating (laughs) so on brand and oh look i have a new pattern that's based on tacos (laughs) oh I was thinking like it's called you taco, your <laughs> <laughs> taco your dream. Taco your dream. It's like life is I, salsa. <laughs> yeah, I I I wish I could remember where this was, but I I a, a while back I read a really interesting um, kind of examination of uh, like you go girl culture, <laughs> like this sort of particularly southern version of it Mm. that is all about like you know um affirmation without like decontextualized affirmation for women without (laughs) a recourse to feminism Hmm. um i'll have to like look it up and see what it is but but ashley like mm. Oh man, I f- it sounds as if we could do a whole episode dedicated to Ashley Longshore. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, I, I feel like a perfect title of it would be "You Go Girl Culture." I love that. <laughs> Hi, have some false I... consciousness, y'all. <laughs> but let's take the hospitality part as an okay aspect. Yes, of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was no. a wonderful. That was a wonderful gesture. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like, I didn't mean to belittle that. (laughs) That's what I like about it. I like hospitality. And, but I I don't know anything else about Ashley Longshore other than I really like this thing that Ashley made called a fuck scarf. And I have an eBay alert for it. (laughs) Just to be, just to be clear, I am, I am, I am an admirer of tacos and I approve of anybody (laughs) giving tacos to anybody else. Yes, I approve of eating. I approve of eating. <laughs> I'm going to put that disclaimer up top of this podcast just so people know that no tacos were harmed in the making of this podcast. We love them very dearly. Yeah. Especially Nailin. But they were dreamed of. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you, Charlene. Um, next, and our last question is from Sandra from Gmail or Sandra. And Sandra asks, how has Project Runway changed your life? Oh my goodness. Um, And so, and then, and I wanna read the rest of of Sandra's email. Uh, Sandra goes, for me, some quotes stuck to my brain like glue. For example, I don't care if you cry and cut, but you better cry and cut. Which is, (laughs) shout out to Zulima Griffin from, I believe that was season three. I believe it's season three, Zulima. And um, Sandra goes on, advice that is more helpful than it seemed at the time, crying, cutting. Sometimes I do randomly wonder where Andre is. And in the broader sense, it's encouraged my resourcefulness. Project Runway has given me the useful words to live by, make it work. 
I probably think or say these words every week. It's also given me a life hack. Whenever I'm trying to learn a new skill, I Google to see if there's a project runway for X. Um, did you know, and she also says, did you know that there's a really, really great reality show about pottery? <laughs> question, question, question. Um, thank you, Sandra. So <laughs> which one do you want to tackle first? How it's changed your life um, or the pottery show? <laughs> well, being that life is changing as we speak, let's let's save the change your life part for the end. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Let's get our hands wet with clay first. Yay. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So I, we were talking about this off podcast. I mistook this for a different show that had to do with glass blowing, but Patricia, you have seen this show about pottery. I, well, okay. Maybe there's more than one. I only know one from like four years ago, maybe more. Um, that, that was a BBC show. Mm -hmm. Um, or at least it was a British network show. And it was briefly on a website called Side Reel. Um, mm. And so I actually watched the first season of, of the of what I think it's the show was called The Great The Great Pottery Throwdown. Whoa. That is the only maybe there's more than one. If it's an American show, then I don't know it. Um, but this is the only one that came to mind when I read this and I thought, <gasps> I love that show because that great pottery throwdown show, the episodes that I saw were really good. I mean, all the drama was about like glazing and did we wedge the clay enough so it doesn't explode in the kiln, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's the kind of drama that I like. Um, In in the episodes that I saw, everybody who went home was like, oh, okay, this was great. Oh, it was so funny. You know, it was just like, it's clay. It's life. Life is clay. Clay is life. You know. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just happy. Potters are on TV. <laughs> yes, exactly. And the judges were really constructive without being kind of nasty ever. So it was a really relaxing show. And being that I also have never touched. Well, I've touched clay, but not in a in a wheel like that. Mm-hmm. I was just, it's, it's literally, for me, it was like watching magic happen. Like, Mm -hmm. wow, wow, wow. And so I really just loved that show. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. I mean, this is exactly the same tone as the glass blowing one on Netflix, which I'm, which is something like in the fire or something like that. It's called, um, but, um, but yeah, it's a. There's something thrilling about people being capable, yeah. right? Like like people demonstrating their expertise and doing something. That's always satisfying to watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and and yeah. I mean, but pottery has that built-in element. Um, and glass blowing to somewhat to the same extent that there there is an, an element of cliffhanger because you put the stuff away for a while for it to set and you mm-hmm. just do not you you can guess at what the outcome is going to be but you do not know for sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and <laughs> that's exactly what I love about it. Yeah. Oh, or at least about the pottery show because I love seeing people in control of their craft. But at the total mercy of the elements, like you can't control fire, you know, 
get over yourself. So there's something very humbling about, meaning it requires a certain humility to a process that I really, really enjoy and like and, and you know, want to relate to more and more and more, you know. So, yeah, that's the kind of drama that I like. At the mercy of the elements. Yeah. And, and, and mm-hmm. By the kiln. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to well, have that show up. But... I mean, it's it's interesting to me, Patricia, because it makes me think about, like, if Project Runway is the um, great analogy for art school, it's like these shows are kind of the analogy for the studio. Yeah. Where, oh, yeah. Where you are, where you can empathize with working on something, and yeah. and having that drama of whether or not it's actually going to result in something. Yeah, and that yeah. your expertise can only take you so far. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, like your sense of what you think control is can only take you so far. That's about preparation. Mm-hmm. That is not about like for me, control is about preparation. It's not about controlling outcome. Mm-hmm. So. These show to me like these shows make that this pottery show made that really really satisfying to watch and relate and 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 the, by the way also the people were all like amateur potters, um, which was also fun. Not, neither one of them was like, oh, this is my I'm I'm in it to, for my pottery line to be sold at I don't know Selfridges in the UK or something. Mm-hmm. It was like, I I just want to I just want to like participate. <laughs> which yeah. was different. No, I yeah. Mean, I, I don't know. I just, I love, well, because I, I need to watch that show because I know, I mean, one of the things I, I thought was interesting about, and it's called Blown Away on Netflix. This is about the glass blowing show. Uh, okay. The pottery show. But for that one, um, we all know uh, Anya Ayung Chi, who won Project Runway after learning how to sew for four months. <laughs> Very famous for that. Um, and on the, on Blown Away, not really sure on the pottery show but on blown away it was kind of not so clear from the very beginning but it's like as as you progress through the season the more seasoned blowers are or the the glass blowers are the ones who are it kind of showing you what it means to have years and years of doing this in your body even you know they all have helpers who are students from the school where they were working in and it's kind of like you could also see them teaching throughout the 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 show and for I don't know it was like unlike Project Runway where um there's a lot of talent in there and not necessarily the most seasoned person and we've had people who've had full-on lines get eliminated early um in past episodes um because it's such a you know like it's a, a very in, uh, I don't know, concentrated amount of time. It's a gauntlet. It's not for everybody. But um, when you kind of put everyone on equal footings, like definitely the experience shows through. And I really, I just like profound respect for ceramicists and glass blowers. Just so amazing. Um, all right. Anything else you want to tackle the live question? Oh. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> I, yes, it has changed my life as a uh, in in the very tangible way that I have a, a very plausible excuse to get to hang out with both of you <laughs> in an ongoing way. <laughs> um, and um, 
And I and I, I as I've said before, um, Tim for me has been uh, an actual mentor in terms of pedagogy. Like I yeah. like like the the way in which he um, relates to the people that he's working with, uh, I think, is a kind of model of um, graceful authority mm. that is very rarely represented. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. You know, it's it's it, it he is very kind of unique in terms of I mean and maybe maybe like on television the earlier versions of that the um doctor shows, mm-hmm. right? Like I think about like um uh Dr. Kildare when I was growing up or things like that where you would have sort of an older man who was you know uh the the voice of authority but not in a but their relationship to power was different i don't know i'm i'm sort of guessing at that (laughs) but i think that there's something very um different about tim's presence like i don't i don't really look to him as a style guru or anything like that i don't look to him to tell me how to dress um but i do look at the way in which he um, negotiates giving people difficult information or helping them to rethink their problem or things like that. And Mm -hmm. that's, it's continues to be inspirational. That's why I would get so angry with the show when they thought like, Oh, you know what? Let's have Tim and Heidi flip a giant switch or like, wouldn't it be funny if Tim Gunn had to wear like a bathing suit and, jump in a pile of mayonnaise or something you know it's just like oh god no you know this is not i mean that did not happen but there was a there was a period there where it was like heading in that direction well they did they have i think he's worn like camo suits you know but in in like a like with a blazer and and tailored pants or something they have done those things where they're just like we're gonna make tim gunn do a a gimmick we're gonna we're gonna kind of turn it into a gimmick yeah yeah. Um, Patricia? <laughs> oh, um, I mean, for me, Tim is definitely also. But I mean, for me, Tim was the draw of the show for me, just to sort of like, um, yeah. Um, so how has the show changed my life? I've also embraced Make It Work, but Make It Work is a very elegant um, uh, I don't want to say reduction, but a very elegant summary of how I, how my, you know, family demonstrated life to me. <laughs> it's just like make it work, make it happen, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, so you know, like, um, so I like that that attitude very much. And with Tim, I mean, it's really refreshing. It was really refreshing for me to have somebody on television like Tim. Um, I actually I highly recommend to everybody to hear the Terry Gross interview from a few years ago with Tim Gunn. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, Tim has had quite a life, and um, but on on television, on screen, it was really good to see someone with Tim's command of knowledge with a very, very strong and healthy sense of boundaries. Mm-hmm. This is not this is not what television culture thrives on. But Tim was able to really. Um, I mean, I think he was chosen also as a counterbalance to all the chaos of the fashion industry, in addition to his, to his position at Parsons. Um, but this command of knowledge, the healthy sense of boundaries, but this low-key delivery of high empathy. And I think that's what makes him so effective in connecting with people, is that even when things are going wrong, he sort of delivers it in a way that doesn't leave people more anxious than when they began. That's a really useful skill in dealing with people in general, whether one is an educator or not, or whether you just want to help somebody in a bind. You know, you. So, um, I would say that Tim has been very affirming for me. But technically, I can't say that Project Runway. Um, okay, so my my real an- my other answer my other answer. <laughs> My other answer to how has Project Runway changed my life is that um, I, I share a birthday with Tim Gunn, so I had no control. Over ooh, that. ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have no control over how Project Runway has shaped my life because it's been fun. It's meant to be. <laughs> so, but in a way, like, yeah. Like, I definitely was like, oh, so all the times when I feel, like, very happy being formal, like, Tim Gunn makes that cool, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) It's so funny. Because, I mean, in my head, there's a photo that I came across of Tim Gunn and Heidi Klum, and she's kind of casual. But he's wearing tennis shoes with a suit. And I'm like, I don't remember ever seeing him wear tennis shoes with a suit and he's wearing these jeans he's wearing those like you know those dad jeans and um, Mm -hmm. a blazer and so I'm pretty sure it was a production shot that wasn't supposed to be wide because he was like oh it's just from the waist (laughs) up I was like Tim (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah I mean I don't know because for me I think this is the first show that because I think Project Romney came out the year I graduated from college and um, it really had a profound effect on me. So I haven't really, I didn't really think about how it changed my life um, outside of like, I have a podcast about it because I am a Stan, you know, as the children say, like I'm a project on my Stan. <laughs> but, <laughs> but kind of going back to like, where did that come from? But so I think 2004 uh, is when it premiered and I was really transitioning away from what I'd gotten my degree in, which was biology. Like I gotten, I'm so, if you guys, if I haven't mentioned this before and for you guys who don't know me, like I've, I'm an artist and I have a degree in biology from my undergrad. And I, and my last year was the year at my last year at school is when I, my, took my first photography class and was going through kind of an identity crisis in terms of the fact that I, I enjoyed bio, but I didn't, like it and I love photography and what was that like oh no I this is what it's like to really love something and so that first season of Project Runway was the first time I um, 
you know, was very, I was very captivated by people who seemed to be very passionate about something and being passionate about anything was very new to me <laughs> at that time. So, it, so for me in particular, it had a very profound effect because, um, uh, I just was not really someone who had been open to doing something that you were passionate about or something that you really enjoyed. And, um, I, that's what I got from this first season that a lot of people had a lot of stakes in it. Think about Wendy Pepper and how she really gamed the system because she was like, this is it. And also thinking about Wendy was 39 and she was like, this mm-hmm. is it for me. And you know what it meant back in 2004. But um, yeah, I mean that, that was something that kind of, I was in a, in a state of mind of really trying to, make a decision as to what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. (laughs) So very young and also had time to kind of think about that. But I was, yeah, it was, it was a very profound um, period of time when this show aired. And then um, I would say that it's like people who love the show, like I've, I've collected them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, <I feel> like, <laughs> so you guys you guys are like you know i i kind of i i don't know for me it's like if you love project runway then you're automatically okay with me and i automatically <laughs> think that you're an amazing person only because my experience with this show was such a collective thing so samelia so for those of you guys who remember samelia um and she and i uh and a bunch of our other friends when we all used to live in philly would have sleepovers and day parties where we watched this show because we all loved it so much. And so I have fond, fond memories of the show um, helping me um, think about community and helping me practice community. And also um, as I've become an artist and I've grown into my own practice, I think of it in terms of how I think about my experience with my own practice and making and using other materials and, and, um, and, you know, also art school, but also with my students as well, just how it's become this very, this thing that's sort of ingrained, but in, in the background that's kind of led up to and kind of helped along the way other things that just, I don't know, that have been very resourceful and, and, and life-giving as well. And, and I would say for this podcast in particular, I, I started it because I was kind of low-key upset that I couldn't find a podcast that knew as much about the show as I did. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I, would listen, I would listen to these other people talk about the show and, and a lot of things that they were saying. I'm just like, oh, but there's these other that's there's that other stuff that went on. They're like, I don't know if this actually happened on the show before. I'm like, it has happened before. Season five, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I know way too much about this show. And also, if I can't find what I want, then let's figure out how to make what I want and I think that also came from the show as well and you know not to get like too emotional about it but also came from you Nayland I will say (laughs) (laughs) as an inspiration for like you know these things that are important to you um you know this is kind of like like an uh, you know also an outset of of what I do in my artwork as well just a lot so in terms of you know it's I would say Project Runway has been formative in my life. So I'll say that. <laughs> you know, when I, when this show first started airing, I, I was actually working, um, at a magazine that no longer exists. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say more about it, but let's just say that that is why I did go to fashion week. Um, 
but like third row level, not first row level. You know, <laughs> still like I, um, hey, still cool. I, yeah. I was like, wow, wow, wow. You know, but I could not tell any of my coworkers. Everybody dissed the show. Everybody thought it was just, oh my god, it's so mainstream. You know, it was just mm-hmm. everybody so snobby about it. So I talked to my friends about watching the show, but at work, like I just I didn't mention <laughs> that I watched the show because everybody talked about it like it was this negative thing. And I thought, is this what happens to chefs? Like, are people like in kitchens complaining about? Um, I, I forget who wrote um, kitchen. Top chef. Oh, I, I actually, um, a Kitchen Confidential. The, oh, the, Anthony Bourdain. Oh, yeah. Anthony yeah. Bourdain, yeah. So are people really complaining about these people? Like, who cares? It's putting your industry, it's adding another dimension to your industry, you know? But but no, people were so snobby about it. But I, I, I bet that has changed. And also, this is really a reflection of how snobby, how snobby this job was. And um, more than the whole industry, I just want to yeah. say. It was a very particular enclave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's interesting yeah. to hear because I, you know, I still am not a fashion person. You know, I, I don't like the show because I'm into all that is fashion. And so I, I would never even thought about that. But yeah, that's, I think, I, you know, I know that Tim Gunn originally was not slated to be on the show and he just was so great in the workroom and that's why they added him on and he was, you know, not expecting to be featured that way. But, um, like the idea of this, that there would be a stigma around this is, is, huh. That's Mm -hmm. good to remember because I, you know, that reality TV was new, very new, even though we've had like, you know, real world and all other stuff, but still, I think the early aughts was still not necessarily reality TV was not prestigious. Mm-hmm. Um, Top Chef also not prestigious. Top Chefs even well, one and two, you know. It, yeah. It's also interesting to me, like how many other, um, how many failed versions of the show there are yeah. um, mm-hmm. that are like like the um, what was it? Top Design that was their interior decorator version that didn't, you know, that, that I think maybe lasted two seasons or, um, or we've, we've talked before about work of art. Right. Um, and, um, you know, uh, the only other show that I, that has had similar longevity, uh, you know, there's been Top Chef, but then there's also been, um, uh, uh, um, Ink Masters, which is the tattoo Oh. competition show um which i will watch on occasion although it's it it has really um descended into self-parody oh. um oh, no. but um but it is uh and and i wonder what it is about these two fields like on the face of it you could say oh well top, why wouldn't like an interior design version of project runway work but it doesn't it didn't it yeah. was like and and i think it has something to do with uh, the personalities involved and then also the the sort of interesting um uh you know interesting thing where like Everybody has to pick out something to wear, even though people don't 
don't necessarily make clothes. Right. Mm-hmm. And and if you're getting tattooed, you sort of have to like pick out what the tattoo is, the, you know, and decide what's like a good tattoo or a bad tattoo. Mm-hmm. And there's technical things that can be talked about as well as taste things. And, but not everybody like hires a decorator, you know, not everybody commissions an artist or is an artist or, you know, there's, there's an interesting kind of um, uh, spot in the Venn diagram where certain fields work to tell these stories in and other fields just kind of don't or don't capture the imagination in the same way. Yeah, and also like getting something like a tattoo or having um, one's home decorated is so much about personal taste. Mm -hmm. In a way that clothing and food tend to be more participatory. Mm -hmm. You know, like when you go shopping, okay, I'm going to exclude online shopping because everything can be bought online. Um, But when you go to buy clothes, whether you go to a thrift store or a big st- a fancy store, you always have to rely on somebody else to like sell it to you um, mm. or get you a different size or you may even have to have it altered. So I think, um, and same thing with food, you know, like even if you make food yourself, you have to buy it from somewhere unless you grow it yourself. But I also think that people will have more opinions on, everybody will have an opinion on food and dress because those are things that we must do. Whereas I think getting a tattoo and, and, and interior decoration, those are things that are that not everybody um, has to do hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, oh my gosh. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that was, that was a, a pretty, you had no idea, Sandra from Gmail. <laughs> where this will lead us <laughs> thank you so much for asking that question um because it brings up a lot and and even to think about you know as we go into uh making the cut just mm-hmm. how influential the show has been to a lot of people and also to the reality tv industry and then to fashion industry period and you know just kind of like a you know another aside to top chef I mean, it's like to get onto that show now, you kind of have to have been a James Beard Award winner. You know, if any of you guys out there watch that show and just sort of how Mm -hmm. some of these competition shows have um, have evolved and and sort of, you know, in terms of what successful has kind of changed the landscape in terms of who is actually wanting to be on these shows in the first place. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. But but anything else? Um, I think we're. I would just say one last thing about like the sort of the history of the show, yeah. um, which is that it also came about at the at, right at the first flowering of recap culture. Oh. So I used to read the recaps of the show on television without pity, um, <laughs> which is amazing. a which is a website that um, that has is long departed, but used to um, their bread and butter was like episode by episode recaps yeah. of of TV shows, and um, often very very funny writers. 
Um, and uh, and a bunch of those people went on to um, the AV Club on um, uh, you know the companion site to the Onion. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of them went on to like Gawker Media. There's um, there's a lot of uh, what is, what is it? Tom, it's Tom and Tom and Lorenzo. Tom and Lorenzo yeah. basically um, came out of I think maybe doing the maybe writing a lot of comments on the recaps hmm. uh, on on, tele, on TV without pity. I could be wrong about that, but anyway, that was like it. So the show it sort of lent itself to this kind of fan dissection. Um, which now mostly takes place in podcasts, but but at the time it was all happening in print online. Yeah, yeah. I would say yeah. Tom and Lorenzo has a podcast. Uh, they don't, you know, they they cover a bunch of other stuff, but they do cover mm-hmm. Project Runway, and um, they're they're the ones. They're one of the other Project Runway podcasts. Even though we're the only podcast, there are other project <laughs> podcasts out there about Project Runway. Um, but I appreciate them because they are so knowledgeable in fashion and when they, when, and I highly recommend them as well. They're very opinionated. So it's kind of like, yes, no, yes, no, but they're like Nina in that they can catch. And also like the two of you, they can catch all the references and like, Oh, this is so-and-so and this is so-and-so. And I started listening to them during, um, Aaron's season, you know, um, mm-hmm. your favorite and um, hearing to them, hearing about them, they also did not like Erin all that much, but mostly because she was referencing this other designer that I'd never heard of, who was very famous. And, you know, as a designer, of course, I'd never heard of them. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, kind of giving this really wonderful different perspective of what's happening. But from, like, you know, just a very fashion history point of view, like, I really enjoy them a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have, I, I have one other quick question for both of you sure um so what's your season rating overall for this season like what like like where do you place it um just overall yeah well in terms on a rating of like one to ten ten being the most can we use Mm -hmm. that as a scale or should we use another scale yeah sure Um, I would give it like a five or a six. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I honestly, I um, really like Jeffrey's designs. Mm-hmm. But it's, and actually, there are some other, I mean, every designer basically made one thing that was remotely interesting. Only like four of them didn't for, in, in, for me. But overall, they were very blah. Like, they were very sort mm-hmm. of like, um, Okay, I'm going to say it. I think that this production team maybe got in the way, in their way a little bit more. Hmm. Because it's like, unless they all just chose designers that were kind of not necessarily willing to push their creativity. I don't know. I think designers were there to do that. So I give it a five or a six just based on the fact that I didn't really see people push their creativity, but rather just um, kind of humble, like bumble along. Hmm. Um, yeah. And I also, mean, I mean, there's, there's problems. I mean, we've, we've talked about every single one of them and hmm. more. Um, so I would just say a five or a six on a scale of one to 10. Was it particularly re- rewarding to watch? 
um, sometimes, but overall, it was okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of the whole grand scheme of things in terms of what I would rank it as compared to other seasons. And even going back and looking at previous seasons to to prep for, for these questions, I feel like there are probably five or six episodes seasons that I would place above this one. And I, I probably would even place last season above this one. Um, and, and it kind of felt thinking about it, just as you were talking, Patricia, it kind of felt like an all-star season in terms of how safe people were. And um, also just kind of, for instance, like Sergio, who didn't feel like he was in competition with anyone um, and not even in a really interesting way where they want to beat out everyone else. They, I, I just generally think he doesn't, he's not self, he wasn't aware enough to really feel like there was a possibility that, um, or that there was an, a, a need for him to really prove himself. I think he got there and felt like he had done enough. Um, yeah. And then going back to my favorite seasons, like Dom's my favorite season, Michelle uh, season 11's my favorite season. And that, None of those favorite seasons from, you know, Siriano's my favorite season. So one, four, 11, 12, like I, this season, I probably, I would give it like a, like a strong six also, but oh. definitely in the top, you know, in terms of 18, if I ranked it, it would probably be like a single digit number. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, I, I I think I'm I think I'm right there too. I think it was, um, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes they rank high on personalities, yeah. and this didn't really do that. And sometimes they rank high on on talent, and this didn't really do that either. I mean, I think that there were talented people, but I agree with you, Patricia, that they were sort of talented in a way that was very kind of safe hmm. um, and sort of and sort of solid. And and so um, it was fine, but it was re- really rare that I found myself moved by something that I saw. Hmm. Yeah. Um, as as much as I liked um, Jeffrey's final collection, I was like, I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't like um, in ecstasies about it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, um, so, yeah, it just seemed solid, but but uh, not so um, not so memorable. so great i love it so much (laughs) (laughs) i have i i mean uh ernest when you were talking about and uh when you talked about sergio i had one final thought about him which is that um i think one of the things that's really hard to reconcile is like as an artist or as a creative person there is the thing that you really like to do Mm -hmm. and if you don't and and but if you get the message that that's somehow not enough because it's too sort of conservative or it's too or it's or it's seen as being kind of um, uh, uh, not um, crucial in the moment, hmm. you can like 
work very hard to try to make it pertinent. Hmm. And I think, you know, it may be a different version of the where is your where is your girl going question is. So you're making clothes. What kind of experience do you want the person in them to have? Yeah. And I think if you it, I, I don't think that if you ask Sergio that question, he would ever say, I want this person to think about the melting polar ice caps. Yeah. Like never. Mm-hmm. It, w- it was like he, he wanted to provide experiences of like elegance and um, and uh, and and safety and and um, and luxury mm-hmm. for, you know, for for women of of some means who yeah. are sort of established in life. And that's not a bad thing to like want to do but it's certainly a thing that in the in our current um in our current state it's hard to it's hard to get behind somebody who wants to do that or at least only that right it, yeah. yes exactly exactly so i think he continually had to like come up with these stories that to him were sort of ripped from the headlines but actually had nothing to do with with what was exciting to him about making clothes for people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that if it's important, if all of the um, concerns, if all the concerns that Sergio brought up, if they weren't pulled from the headlines, as you said, Nayland, then they should be embedded in the clothing and how the clothing is made. And they have to be embedded in a way that First of all, he couldn't even be on the show. And second mm-hmm. of all, like there is a way to, to use fashion as a platform, but it has to be embedded in, in the clothes. It has to be embedded in how they're made. And to throw out a, like another example, um, like Kenneth Cole is... Kenneth Cole in New York. Mm-hmm. I don't think Kenneth Cole even has any stores anymore. But um, for a while, Kenneth Cole was using fashion as a platform um, and making statements about politics and culture and, and social consciousness, um, using fashion as a platform. But that also was reflected on how the clothing was made, where it was made, and all these trying to make all these things visible. Um, so in a way, part of why Sergio was also frustrating to watch was Sergio acted like this had never been thought about before, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like I, I'm the child savior of this idea. It's like, okay, no, but, but anyway, just to say that if, if all of those concerns are there, then they have to be part of the production process more than the marketing story. That's all. That's all I want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I thought about that makes me it, yeah, it reminds me of what he said during some some one of those interstitials that, that was thrown in during his final runway where he's like, I just want to make gowns for women who want to be the best dressed at the party. And yeah. I was like, yes, <laughs> that, is, mm-hmm. that is what you want to do. But you've never said it in a straightforward way for right. for these various reasons. And. Yeah, I mean, it's it is. I don't know. I it, uh, it it is tough when 
um, you know, yeah, the, the, I don't know, the creative process is, is really difficult. And, you know, mm-hmm. in, in how I mentioned before, like this idea of doing what you want and, and what it is that you are really interested in. Um, I mean, I give Sergio a hard time, um, partly because I can relate to a little bit of that um, difficulty with really accessing like why are you doing this <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so for him it's it's it does seem so inauthentic and I mm-hmm. suspect it's a lot of because Sergio's not used to digging into what he actually wants and and what he actually enjoys or what he actually likes it's a perception of how others are perceiving him or what others are interested in and how to make himself look more important than he actually then he thinks he, he he has to do these outside things to make himself more important than like you are inherently important. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm so that, that part is something that's um, upsetting and frustrating. And to me, just deeply fascinating about him because I thought, yeah, make dresses for women between the ages of 45 and 65. It would have been something really great if he was like, I need a model who's older than these models <laughs> or something mm-hmm. where he's like, could, is there, is right. would there, would there be a possibility of, like the women that I do design for are 45 and up. Can I get a model of that age or, you know, something like that, that would have been, that would have been, been, been great and would have led us in a little bit of what it is that he, you know, some authenticity, some truth behind what he's actually doing and bolstered his, his cause. Yeah. But, um, indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, well, we've come to the um, end of our questions. All right, Nalan, what were you going to say? Yes. Yes, something else. No, I was going to say for those of uh, for those of you who doubted that we could go three hours <laughs> without uh, without a minute by minute recap. Of... I know I doubted. I was like, oh, it's going to take us an Wrong. hour. Like it's going to be so short. <laughs> um, but uh, I uh, we are in the midst of working from home. Yeah. In this season, and I, I do have some other work coming up that I, I need to get to. Um, so, yeah, we have to wrap up. Um, I, I, I know that we did want to just quickly mention um, the most recent um, development with the show, which was um, uh, Jeffrey's. Um, recent announcement on Instagram of the the um, passing of a, a friend of his, mm-hmm. a very influential um, uh, downtown New York figure, um, Nesham Wooten, um, also known as Mona Foote, um, who, um, ev- who who Jeffrey was very close with and. Um, was uh, um, uh, a kind of mentor and guide for him, um, and uh, we are um, we're we're very sorry about that. Um, the realities of coronavirus are are very very real. Um, there, and, and I I think as time goes by, more and more of us are um, are seeing um, effects closer and closer to home. Um, and so, um, that's, um, we're, you know, obviously our heart goes out to Jeffrey. Um, um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I think, um, should we just kind of do endorsements? Cause I have one that's sort of, um, related to that, which is, which is, um, 
you know, as we we sort of started out talking about how we all got to know each other through the uh, ICP Bard MFA program. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the people that we work with in that program um, is uh, a wonderful um, uh, curator and and art writer and theorist and, uh, 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 named Marvin Heiferman. Um, over this past weekend, Marvin's husband. Um, the, um, curator Maurice Berger, um, uh, also, uh, succumbed to coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I would just recommend, um, if you are at all interested and if you're listening for this long, you probably are in these issues around, in, uh, around American culture and race and representation, um, I urge you to really seek out the work of Maurice. Um, it's a, a passionate writer and organizer of, of many important shows um, uh, on the topic. So um, he is somebody who uh, I know we're all missing a great deal right now and, and also um, feeling deeply for, for Marvin's loss. Yes, absolutely. And both of those links, um, links to um, the New York Times article about Mona Foote and also links to um, where you can um, uh, read about Maurice Berger and, um, and, and his life will be in the show notes. So um, thank you, Nayland. And um, before we go, um, can we just remind everyone how to find us? And uh, Patricia, we'll start with you. And if you have anything to share, please do share as well. Um, no, nothing to share. Just for everyone to take this seriously and stay safe. Um, uh, I, I can be found actually hanging out in the workroom Instagram account. I've been making my little comments on there. Um, I can also be found... Um, on my own account, um, Sense and Sight, on both Instagram and Twitter, and that's Common Sense and Optical Sight, S-E-N-S-E-A-N-D-S-I-G-H-T. Great, and you, Nayland? Uh, I'm Nayland Blake, all one word, on uh, on uh, Twitter, and um, Nayland W. Blake on Instagram. Uh, and I... Uh, if you contact me on either of those um, uh, websites, I will give you my um, Nintendo friend code and we can hang out together in um, Animal Crossing New Horizons, uh, the, <laughs> the, the better world that many of us are escaping to. <laughs> Is that the one the, where yeah. tarantulas are like not your friend at all? <laughs> there's there's a whole thing with tarantulas on uh in that in yes in that game but it's it's not as tarantula focused as you might think oh, okay i just see a lot about tarantulas. mostly it's mostly it's hanging out and um on also uh designing clothes um there's right. a, there's a whole uh there's a whole clothing design mechanic so awesome. um yeah can i I, I hope I didn't miss the time, and if I did, it's okay. But I, I wanted to just read a very brief quote from uh, Maurice Berger's 1990 um, essay. Mm-hmm. No, please. It's yeah. very 
It's very brief. It's very, very brief. And by the way, this is from Art in America, 1990, Are Art Museums Racist? I'm just going to read just some questions that Maurice raises that um, have not lost in importance. Um, who is the audience for high culture? Who is allowed to interpret culture? Who is asked to make fundamental policy decisions? Who sets the priorities? That's all. Yeah. Yep. That's, yeah. Um, still, still waiting for an answer. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. yeah, so many things in that we could have a again. We could go on forever, <laughs> but um. Ernest, where I'll, can people find you? Yeah, thank you, Naylan. <laughs> Get me out of my head. Um, you can find me at Ernest, H-E-R-N-E-A-S-E, on all of the social mediums. Um, I'm the only one. And then on my website, ErnestDavis.com. And, of course, you can follow us um, where Patricia has been playing around on Instagram, um, at The Workroom Podcast. And then join us on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash The Workroom um, and of course you can email us in the workroom at gmail.com. I've also gotten comments from people who love that we have another option. That's not Facebook or anything Facebook related. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So keep, <laughs> keep writing into us there. That's an outcome that I was not anticipating, but I'm so glad that it's, um, helpful and, um, it feels like uh, a safe place to send your, your notes to us. So mm-hmm. continue to reach out to us. Um, we will be back soon. I hope you all are taking care of yourselves um that you and yours are safe and also that um yeah that and i don't know i just am very grateful for all of you um until we see you again where we're gonna discuss making the cut (laughs) i guess we'll all say goodbye bye goodbye